Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I am so excited to be sharing with you today. This message that I'm going to be sharing for the next couple of weeks is really something that has just been mulling over in my heart for at least six months. And I want to talk to you, and I've entitled this Four Kinds of Confession, but really what I'm going to be talking to you about is I'm going to talk to you about faith and about how your faith grows and how to make your faith effective so that it really makes a difference in your life. That it's just not something that you have mental assent to, but it's something that's in your heart and something that's flowing out of your mouth and something that's changing the world around you. Now, when they talk about different types of confession, the first confession is one that every single believer goes through. And this confession is simply confessing Jesus as your Lord. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, notice it says that we need to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. And this really is talking to the unbeliever. This is talking to someone who is away from God, who doesn't know God, right? But for them to get right with God, what they need to do is confess Jesus as their Lord. I, I remember I was brought up in church, but yet I, I had never received the Lord. I, I was living for myself. And I can just say I was not right with God. Technically, I was not saved. I was not a Christian, although I was in church. What happened was I, I, I was in college and a young man began to share with me. He invited me to go to a church, certain church service. And after that service, a young man that I had been brought up with, we, we, he lived across the street from me, his name was Bruce Roberts. He came over and basically shared the gospel with me. And, and for the first time, I heard that a person could really be saved, that you could decide to receive Jesus, receive salvation, receive forgiveness that God offered. And I remember getting down, we, we knelt down by some, some chairs and prayed a prayer. And one of the verses that he used when he talked to me was this verse right here about confessing Jesus as Lord. And when you do that, you will be saved. Right? Now, before that, I had heard people say, you know, Christians need to confess all their sins. And there's truth to that. But listen, to get saved, you don't need to confess all your sins. I was 20 years old when I received Jesus. And believe me, I could not remember all of my sins. If I had had to confess all of my sins to be saved, I would have never gotten saved because I had forgotten a lot of them. Right? I didn't need to remember my sins to get right with God. What I needed to do to get right with God was I needed to confess Jesus as my Lord. And really, salvation can be said, we can talk about it in a couple of different terms, but salvation is changing lords. See, when you get saved, you receive Jesus as your Lord. Before that, you're under Satan's dominion. Or we can say you're changing fathers. Jesus said to the, the religious people, he said, you're of your father, the devil. But yet when you become a Christian, God is your father. 
in Colossians 1 and verse 13. It says, the Father has delivered us and drawn us to himself out of the control in the domain of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So literally what happens when you become a Christian, you confess Jesus as your Lord. You give him your heart and your life. And you say, you're my Lord. I'm going to live for you. You're my king. I'm going to live for you. And when that happens, God takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and he translates you into the kingdom of the son of his love. So you change kingdoms. It's not that you've got to remember every sin that you ever committed. If you had to do that, you could not get saved. Just like I couldn't. I, I, I did not have the, the memory of all of the sins that I had committed. Right? So what I needed to do was confess him as the Lord of my life. And the same thing is true for every person that's not right with God. The way that you get right with God is you confess Jesus as your Lord. Now, then the second type of confession is the confession of sin in the life of the believer. So the non-believer, they confess Jesus and receive Jesus. They're taken out of the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of the son of his love. But then the believer, they can, we, as a believer, when I sin, I confess my sin. Now, by the way, the word confession really means to say the same thing as. So when I confess my sin, listen, that's not when God finds out about my sin. But what I do is I say the same thing that God says. I say, God, this is what I did. It was wrong. And I'm turning away from that. That's confessing my sin. Now, that's what we do as believers. First John chapter one and verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In fact, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So as a believer, when we sin and every Christian does, right? none of us are perfect yet. Right? When we sin, we go to God and we say, Father, I've sinned. I've done. This is what I did. And God, I'm turning away from that. I ask you to cleanse me in Jesus blood. And instantly, that is what happened. So the believer confesses the sin that they have committed. Now, what the devil will try to do is he will try to get you to do the exact opposite of that. He will try to get you to go away from God. Right? The, he comes with condemnation. Um, the devil always tries to counterfeit what God does. Now, what God does is he brings conviction. And conviction is very different than condemnation. The devil comes with condemnation and he says, you sin. God is mad at you. I can't believe you're a Christian. You are a terrible, terrible person. And God is not going to bless you. God's not going to use you. God's not going to answer your prayers. You are separated from God. And he comes to condemn you. Right? Now, the Holy Spirit comes to convict you. Right? Now, the Bible says there is now, therefore, no condemnation. So the Holy Spirit is not the one bringing condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts and he says, God is waiting for you with open arms. He loves you. He wants to restore you. He wants to use you. He wants to bless you. Come back into fellowship with God. He's not condemning. He's saying, come, come back. God loves you. God's going to use you. You see, the relationship that you have with God is permanent. You're a child, but 
the fellowship with God has been broken. And when we confess our sin, that fellowship is restored. In fact, it is restored instantly. I've had several people say to me, oh, I just don't feel forgiven. And I remember very clearly one person who came forward after a service and they said to me, they said, you know, I just don't feel like I'm forgiven. I feel like, you know, I said, have you prayed and asked for forgiveness? They said, yes, I have. And uh, I don't recommend anybody do this, but I had heard about another pastor who had done this, so I thought I'd try it. And I said, so you're saying you pray and God's not forgiving you? He said, that's right, God's not hearing my prayer. I said, well, why don't you just cuss a minute? And uh, he's like, right here in church? I said, no, God would hear. And I said, so you're saying that God would hear you if you were swearing, but he won't hear you if you're praying. And he went, oh, that, that really doesn't make sense, does it? So it's not a matter of all of a sudden I feel something because your feelings can change, right? God said, if you will confess your sin, he is faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins. Now, here's the thing that, that sometimes we don't realize, that sin does affect you, right? And it, it, it affects your conscience. It, it, it affects... How can I say this? It affects your heart. So David sinned with Bathsheba. You all remember the story in the Old Testament. King David, he he commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And then he comes back to God. We, We don't know exactly how long later, probably nine months to a year later. And he's repenting to God. And and what he wrote down is in our Bibles in Psalms 51. And he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or a strong spirit within me. So when when we sin, it's like our, our heart gets polluted and we no longer really see sin the way that sin is. And so David is praying and saying, God, I want to see sin like you see sin. Create in me a clean heart. Let my heart be clean. So that when I see sin, I I am repulsed like you're repulsed. Because when we participate in sin, we get used to sin. In fact, the Bible says that our conscience can become seared. Now, if you were to take an iron and put it on my hand and pull that iron away, um, I would have a burn mark and it would heal. But many of the nerve endings would have been seared and no longer function. And so I would touch that area, but I couldn't even tell I was touching it. And that's how our conscience can become. When we sin and we accept sin, it affects the way that, that we perceive what's wrong. Right? So David is saying, after he repents, he's saying, God created me a clean heart. Right? And then he said, renew a steadfast or a strong spirit within me. Now, this is very important. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that they have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. Taken captive by Satan to do his will. You know, when a person sins, the first time it's, it's a little bit difficult. There's, a, there's this battle. The next time it's easier and easier and easier until it comes to the point where literally there is nothing inside them that is resisting sin. Now, first of all, they need God to create a clean heart within them. 
But then he, they need to have a strong, steadfast spirit. There is nothing that says no. They have become passive. Right? And God doesn't want us to be passive. He wants us to be strong. In fact, the Bible says this in Titus. It says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly desires and to live an upright, godly life in this present evil world. So God wants us to be strong on the inside. So David prays and says, create in me a clean heart. God, I want my conscience to, to, be, to be working. I, I want to see sin. I want to be repulsed by sin like you're repulsed by sin. And God, I gave myself to sin and my, my, my will became weak. I'm asking God, give me strength in my inner man so that next time temptation comes, I will say, no, I'm not going to give into that. Right? So it's not a matter of your feeling forgiven because whether you feel it or not, you are forgiven. When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But I would like to say this, that it is important for us as Christians to also say, God created me a clean heart and God renew a strong, a steadfast spirit within me that says no. Right. So when you sin, you don't need to go back three times, four times, eight times. And keep on saying, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Because when you ask him to forgive you, the Bible says he is faithful. He's just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Right? He cleanses us of all of our sin. Now, the third type of confession that I want to talk to you about today is the confession of faith. But where we're going is we're going to be talking also about the confession unto faith. Right? There is a point where you've got faith in your heart and you begin to speak the word that is in your heart. You speak God's word. You confess God's word. Again, confession means to say the same thing. So we need to be saying the same thing that God says because we believe it in our heart. But very often to begin with, it, it, it seems very, very difficult to believe what God has said about our situation. So what we have then is we have a confession unto faith, right? And that's what meditating in the word of God is. It's getting us to that place where there is the confession of faith. But while we're getting there, there is a confession unto faith. So I want to just talk a moment about the confession of faith, but then we're going to be working towards the confession unto faith. In other words, you may be saying what God says and it's in your head, but it's not in your heart yet. Right? You understand it in your head, but it's not in your heart. But as you speak God's word and meditate on God's word, that word comes alive on the inside of you. Right? But Romans 10 and verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Now, the righteousness of faith, that's what you and I are to have on the inside of us. And notice what it does. It speaks. Faith is always speaking. Right? When there's faith on the inside, it's going to come out of your mouth. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So notice that there are certain things that faith will not say. That's where he begins. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say. 
And, and some of you, you may have heard me talk about this before, but I, I just don't know of a better illustration than this. Uh, my father was in World War II. He, uh, many of the people that were in his platoon did not make it back. And he was always bothered about it. In fact, we, we heard him say, I should have died in World War II. I should have died. I should have died. I should have died. In fact, this is what he would say. And I heard them, him say this so many times. Uh, I should have died in the war, but I'll never live to be 50. I should have died in the war, but I'll never live to be 50. I should have died in the war, but I'll never live to be 50. And it's really interesting to me that he died at 49 years old. The thing that, that he was saying was not in agreement with God's word. God said, with long life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. And as your days, so shall your strength be. But he believed, he believed it and he spoke it and he spoke it and he spoke it. And I think that it's very, very interesting that James in the third chapter says that your tongue can be set on fire by hell. In other words, Satan will get you to say things and he will use those words that you say as a door to enter your life and bring destruction into your life. James chapter three. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Verse eight says, but what does faith say? What does it say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, even the word of faith, which we preach. So the word needs to be in your heart and in your mouth. There has to be a mouth and heart connection. And notice it says first in your mouth and in your heart. Often the way it gets in your heart is when you speak it with your mouth. You're confessing God's word with your mouth. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So this is what that means. That means that God's word was first spoken and then it was written. It's every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the reason that God's word is written is so that you can speak it, right? You're going to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. First, God's word was spoken. Then it was written, but it wasn't written so you could run around with a big leather bound edition. It was written so that you and I could speak it. Faith in your mouth given by God to declare his word right? Is really your way and my way to victory. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, and they, that's you, overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. In other words, there is no overcoming victory for you or for me without the confession of our mouth. And the confession of our mouth needs to be what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. When Satan came to tempt Jesus, the Bible says he comes with the temptation and Jesus said, it is written. And then the devil comes with another temptation and says, Jesus said, it's written. The devil comes with another temptation and Jesus says, it is written. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but there was a spiritual battle that was taking place right there. Right? And it was a battle of words. And the way that Jesus won the battle was by speaking the word of God. 
In fact, in, in uh, the book of Ephesians, it lists all the armor, spiritual armor that the Christian has. But the only offensive weapon that's mentioned is the sword of the spirit. And in literally in the Greek, it says the rhema. It's the rhema of the spirit. Now, the rhema word of God is the word of God that you have in your heart, that you speak with your mouth. It's the word of God that you've meditated on. It's become alive on the inside of you. It's revelation. And you begin to speak that word out. See, and if you've got no word on the inside, you may be trying to, to fight the devil with a pocket knife. But what God has for you, he's got a sword of the spirit. It's the same one that Jesus spoke. I love what Reinhard Bonnke said. He said, I was a normal missionary. And for those of you who do not know who Reinhard Bonnke was, uh, he has recently gone to heaven. But during the, the, the last part of the 20th century and into the 21st century, uh, he saw 70 million people make decisions for Christ in the continent of Africa. 70 million people. And he said, I was a normal missionary until God spoke to me and said, my word in your mouth is just as powerful as my word in my mouth. That's powerful. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that there is a two-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. Uh, it is Rick Renner who said, one edge is when God speaks it. The other edge is when you speak it. That's when it becomes that two-edged sword. When you and I confess, agree. Remember, the word confession means to agree. When we agree with what God has said about our situation, about who we are in Christ, about what we have as believers in Christ, you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, what the blood of Jesus has purchased for you. Right? Remember, Romans 10, verse 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not you just hear it one time, by the way. You need to hear it again and again. Paul said this in uh, Corinthians. He, he said, uh, I planted and Apollos watered and God gave the increase. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Now, now what happens sometimes in people's lives, the word of God is planted, but it's not watered. Right? People say something, well, I know that. I've heard that before. I've heard that talk before. I've heard that sermon before. I know all about that truth. In fact, you, you mentioned certain scriptures and people go, well, I know all about that. Well, the truth is this. You may have heard it and it may have been planted, but if it's not watered, it's not going to bring forth any increase. And the way that it's watered is we hear it again. The way that it's watered is we study. The way it's watered is we meditate. We spend time in the word of God. And as we do those things, the word is watered. And you don't get it just because you heard it once, right? It got planted. But Paul said, I planted. He planted the word. Apollos watered the word. And then God gave the increase. And we don't get everything just because we've heard it one time. It's been planted, but we've got to water that word and water that word and water that word. And the, 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 the more literally that your soul is, is going through circumstances and fears and turmoil and problems in your life, the more you need that word to be watered and watered and watered. As David said, he restores my soul. The things of this world are just constantly bombarding against our soul. 
But we've got to keep that word that's been sown. We've got to keep it watered, keep it watered. And as it's watered, it grows. We've all seen summers where the, where there's not enough water and you go by a cornfield, right? And that, that corn may be tall, but it's all shriveled up because there's not enough water. And if it doesn't get enough water, there's not going to be that ear. There's not going to be the increase. And we've got to make sure that we just keep on watering and watering that word. Now, Genesis chapter one, we all know this. This is about creation. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Some translations actually said that the, the, the world is catastrophic. It is an absolute mess. And there's just this gross darkness. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Now, nothing happens until the next verse. And then God said, let there be light. Now, when God said, let there be light, the Spirit of God that was hovering over those waters, over that situation. When God said, let there be light, the spirit of God began to move and there was light, but nothing happened until God said, right? And you keep on looking in Genesis chapter one, and then God said, and then God saw, and then God said, and then God saw, and then God said, and then God saw, and then God said, and then God saw. I want you to understand that, that, this world, this universe was created by words. The Genesis force that created the universe that you and I live in was words. And just like it is that, those words, the words that created everything, the words that you speak will affect the world that you live in. The words that you speak are going to affect your life. They are a genesis to be, cause things to begin to happen. In fact, in James chapter three, it says that your words, they put in motion the wheel of creation. As you begin to speak, things begin to happen. Things begin to change. Things begin to, uh, to begin to change in the realm of the spirit and in the natural realm as you and I begin to speak. Nothing happened until God said, and nothing will happen until you say, and I say, something. In fact, Hebrews chapter three and verse one, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Notice that Jesus is called the high priest of our confession, right? Now your confession, what is it? He's the high priest. Let me, let me kind of explain a priest versus a prophet. Uh, a prophet, if this is God, this, this, suppose this, this podium right here is God. The prophet comes to God and gets a word from God and then brings that word to the people. But a priest is the opposite. The priest is with the people. He gets a word from the people and he would bring that word to God. Right Now, Jesus is the high priest of our confession. In other words, the words that you are speaking, that I am speaking, Jesus is bringing those words before the Father. And what are you and I saying? And we need to be saying what God says about our situation. Remember Numbers 13, the spies are sent into the promised land and God said, I've given you the land. But they came back and said, no, we're not able to go in. They disagreed with God and God literally said they gave a bad report. 
a bad report of, of the land through which they had passed through. When they disagreed with God, God called it a bad report. When you agree with God, it's a good report. When you agree with God, Jesus, our high priest is making that confession. But when we disagree with God, it's a bad report. Let me close with 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, the same spirit of faith, it literally means the identical, the carbon copy. So the way faith worked for Peter, James, and John, for Paul, is the way it's going to work for you. The way that faith worked for King David and for Isaiah is the same way that faith is going to work for you and for me. We have the identical spirit of faith. In fact, I think it's so interesting that two of those ten spy, or 12 spies that went in through the promised land, two of them came back. One of them was Caleb. And Caleb quieted the people and he said, let us go up at once and take possession. And in the 14th chapter, this is what God said about him. Because he had a different spirit, he's going to go in and possess the land. He had a spirit of faith. By the way, Moses had a spirit of faith when he was 80. David had a spirit of faith when he was 17. It has nothing to do with how old you are. Since we have the same spirit of faith. Listen, you can have a book or a sermon, one, two, three, four, principles of faith. You can learn principles. But the spirit of faith is just as much caught as it is taught. In fact, it is more caught than it is taught. So the same spirit of faith, according to what's written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. King David was about to face that giant Goliath. And Goliath said, I'm going to kill you. And David, he believed, so he spoke. And he said, you come against me with a sword and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who you have defiled. And this day, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand, and I'm going to strike you and take your head from you. You see, he believed, therefore he spoke. You believe, I believe. And because we believe, we speak. We speak what God says about our situation. Right? There is the faith, the confession that a non-believer makes. And that is the confession to receive Jesus. There is the confession of sin that a believer makes. But there is also the confession of faith that the believer makes. But until he gets to that point where he's in faith, the believer makes a confession unto faith. We begin to say what God says about our situation. And it begins to grow on the inside of us. As we're doing that, we're watering that word. And Philemon says, Philemon verse 6 says that the communication of your faith may become effectual through the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. We need to acknowledge what it is that we have in Christ, who we are in Christ. In fact, I'd like to just lead you in a confession right now. Would you just make this confession with me? Would you just say, I will not fear, for God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. God, I thank you for healing because you heal all of my diseases. Lord, I thank you. I'm delivered from the power of darkness and I'm translated into the kingdom of your son. 
I thank you. You've given me a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and of a sound mind. I thank you for supplying all of my needs. And I thank you, Father, for healing and for divine health that no plague shall come nigh my dwelling, nor any evil befall me. In Jesus' name, amen. That's God's protection plan, Psalms 91. But would everybody please just bow your head for just a moment and please stay with me. Don't turn off. There's many people that are watching today that you're away from God. At one point, you lived for the Lord and you have drifted away from God. Some of you, you don't know where you stand with God. But the Bible says this, know that you have everlasting life. And if you don't know for sure that you're right with God, that you're forgiven and on your way to heaven, you're not where you should be with God. And I want you to pray a prayer with me. The same prayer that I prayed for how long? 46 years ago with Bruce Roberts. And I made that confession and received Jesus as my Lord. I want to lead you in that prayer. If you're away from God, you're not right with God, you don't know where you stand with God, uh, this is for you. And what you're going to be doing is you're going to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. So I'm going to ask everybody, make these words your own. Pray this prayer out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. And I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for him every day. Jesus is my king. He's my Lord. And I receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for me. I thank you I'm forgiven. My past is gone. That I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, you just came back to God. You just received forgiveness. You literally just surrendered your life to him. If that's you, would you please just text yes to that number right there on your screen, 616-226-3922. And we are going to be praying for you. We're going to be celebrating what God has done in your life. And I want to thank you so much, wherever you're at online, for being with us today. God bless you. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.